I was about 26 when this happened, you know, and I was fortunate that that happened really early because it ended up being one of the lowest points of my life. I became really broke. We, you know, we became homeless, traded down three cars, you know, because we were running out of money, you know, and I needed to feed my daughter. And we eventually became, you know, we didn't have any money to pay our own rent. So moved in with my sister. And, you know, my back was against the wall. I was reading a lot. And that really was the moment of discovery and understanding for me, you know. This is Origins Africa podcast, where we explore the origin stories of people who have made and are making their dreams come true, asking the what, the when, the how, and the why. I'm Oshaye, and on this episode, we explore Kola Aino's origin story. Kola is the founding partner of Ventures Platform. Today, Kola is the founder of Ventures Platform, an early stage fund that provides smart capital and growth support for bold entrepreneurs who are leveraging innovation to solve problems in Africa and around the world. Beyond capital investment, Ventures Platform provides the necessary infrastructure for these entrepreneurs to thrive through its co-working business, Ventures Park. Ventures Platform also provides capacity building and ecosystem support through its not-for-profit entity, Ventures Platform Foundation. Now, through Ventures Platform, Kola has invested in over 30 startups, including Crowdforce, Paystack, Kudi, and Piggyvest. He is a mentor on Excel Africa, the World Bank Accelerator, and Google Launchpad Accelerator. He's also a board member, an advisory board member of various organizations, including ARM Financial Advisors Limited and Reliance HMO. But there were hurdles Kola had to cross before getting to where he is today. Kola grew up in Kaduna and had a fun childhood. Kaduna was a, you know, very cosmopolitan city um, with, you know, it was lots of fun. You know, I, I grew up um, right in the heart of the city, went to some of the most, um, most, uh, I guess, for popular schools in Kaduna at the time. I, I uh, my primary school was um, Sacred Heart School. My secondary school was Amani College. And so it was quite an active uh, youth. I played basketball. I I um, I rode my bicycle a lot to very distant places, places I wouldn't let my kids. I mean, I wouldn't. Have, I probably wouldn't let my kids out of my house on a company <laughs> today. But, okay. You know, in, in my time, I would ride my bicycle for miles on my own. I mean, it was still life was still quite innocent then. Um, uh, and then, you know, as I started to get older. You know, I started to become, you know, more involved in socializing and going out. And I get out. Kaduna had all of that. At the time I grew up, Kaduna was uh, like the Lagos of the North, you know. And even in some cases, um, uh, was toe-to-toe with Lagos in terms of social life and, and youthfulness. We asked Kola his fondest memory from childhood and... But the one that I would never forget is um, I was for my in my secondary school. You know, towards our graduation, we had a prom a prom night, and <laughs> I remember being nominated prom king. Oh, interesting! And I had, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I had my prom dates, and uh, I remember that. Um, I had like a godmother, God bless her soul. She's late now. I love her to death. She, for whatever reason, got into my parents' head and told them that they shouldn't allow me to go to the after party for prom. 
because, you know, the kids get up to no good at those parties. And so as prom king, I didn't make the graduation party, which was, I mean, it was oh, not only okay. for, for, for a child, of, for a child, for, for a kid my age, it was a huge embarrassing disappointment. But, you know, at the time, it felt like I'd missed out on on a billion dollars or something, you know, as a young kid. <laughs> yeah, so, I know, I could so, so, so that one certainly stuck with me for a while as a, as a, as a young kid back then. I mean, there, there is also the fact that um, I had, um, I had an accident that I don't like talking about very much when I was younger, an episode, and I, and I actually have a bit of memory loss about those earlier years, you know, which I've talked about once publicly when I spoke at TEDx Houston. Uh, and so my, my, a lot of my recollections of those earlier years are rather faint. Um, and it can be embarrassing, you know, because I sometimes meet people who, you know, I went to school with and, or I did stuff with in the young years and, you know, I, they get upset when I don't remember the details or when I, or sometimes in the extreme cases when I don't remember them. And, um, I often have to explain, you know, that, look, I've got this disability that's, you know, largely I have repurposed as a strength, you know, because, you know, because I don't, my long-term memory is not necessarily at par. I, I tend to move on from loss easily. And I, I don't, I tend not to hold on to the past in ways that most people do. So that's how yeah. I'm sort of optimized for that deficiency okay. um, in life. Yeah. That's great. So j- 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 just so you don't ask me too many more questions about my <laughs> idea, yes. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll try not to. Kola had also spent some time at his father's business while growing up. My dad was an entrepreneur and at any given time ran at least an average of two uh, relatively sized businesses. I, I also spent quite a bit of time in those businesses on the weekends and during the holidays because uh, my dad will always have me tag along. So, so it was a very busy childhood for me. And um, yeah, I, you know, I miss those younger years. <laughs> uh, so growing up as the first son, were there any pressures? Um, yes, there were plenty of pressures. You know, I was the first, I was not only the first son, but I was the first followed by three girls. And then my brother was born. There is uh, about almost 10 years, I believe, yeah, between us, um, you know, and, you know, and, and so that meant I needed to a lot of, uh, my, my parents placed a lot of expectation and responsibility on me, you know, and part of that included, you know, when I was going to, so first off, you know, I, I, I was fortunate. My mother and I sort of connived to see to it that I went to school uh, in the U.S. for my university degree. But my, my father was, was initially not in support because as the first child, he wanted me to be closer to home uh, and naturally to take over the family business, something that ended up not happening um, as I got older. And so there was a lot of that pressure. A lot of it I didn't realize was because I was the first child at the time. I just felt, well, this was just the way it was. You know, my father would, you know, wake me up early in the morning when he woke up on the weekends. I would, I would have to accompany him to the, to the, to the office. Um, and they would always remind me, you know, that, you know, your siblings are, are watching you and coming behind you. And, and, you know, you, you don't realize how much of, pressure it is until you know you get older and i think you you start to maybe introspect and you start to be you start to practice mindfulness and it it sort of starts to you know create an awareness of some of your motivations and some other things that drive you you know i think certainly being a firstborn male Yoruba son of a of a very entrepreneurial uh, and uh, socially uh, responsible father certainly uh, was a high sh- high standard to try to live up to. You know, my parents also you know were Christians and became quite religious at some point, and so there was now also the added. 
uh, added toga of living a, a, a wholesome Christian life, you know, which we always grew up, were raised as Christians. But, you know, I think that that also then added another layer of expectation, you know, and even when I moved on to, to university, uh, you know, my mom, every time I called her, the call would always end with, remember that your siblings are coming after you. <laughs> You know, uh, but fingers crossed, thankfully, it looks like things turned out all right. You know, my, my siblings all, you know, um, as I say, my, my parents always remind me that, well, you know, you, you did all right and you set a good example for your siblings. So, yes, that pressure was intense. It was there. But from spending time at his father's businesses as a young boy, Kola had developed an interest in graphic design and wanted to be the best graphic artist in the world. You know, because I always interned um, on my holidays, my dad, you know, always just ensured I was doing something. I believe that was his way of maybe trying to prepare me to to take over his business empire or whatever. But, you know, I think if I was going to do it again, I probably would have had a conversation with me. I think the challenge is there was really no conversation, at least not that I remember. And so... You know, I spent a lot of time in the publishing business and I remember having a lot of fun with folks that worked in graphic design. And, you know, I became a really good graphic artist, right? And I, you know, because I've always been a very creative person and for, and I decided that I want to become a graphic artist. You know, that, oh, I, wanted to be the, that I wanted to be the best graphic artist in the world. You know, and that desire held on for a while. I remember when I finally was going to, when my mom and I were orchestrating my uh, 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 my education in the US. First degree, okay. Yeah, I you know, I wanted to study graphic design at the Savannah College of Art and Design. That was my ambition, the SCAD, which is one of the top design schools in the US. Uh, but of course, when my father found out about it, even though he was aligned with his industry, he, he wasn't very supportive of that course of study. Because, you know, because the folks that do design in Nigeria are not necessarily the most respected, right? <laughs> you know, even though I think you can make a fantastic career in design, sure. you know. Um, but again, because it, my dad, my, his, the business was a traditional print business. And so, you know, graphic design was... A lot of people that did graphic design were dropouts or, you know, there was some degree uh, professionals, but it wasn't necessarily the case. So so I think he, he didn't necessarily think that I could make a good living or make a good life as a graphic designer. And, you know, every parent wants the best for their child. You know, in all this, I think my dad had the best intentions for me, sure. you know, but I think that generation certainly feel uh, they, they know what is best for their kids and they always you know seek to determine or you know uh, guide their kids you know largely uh uh and 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 that 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 was uh so so yeah graphic design was 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 the very predominant thing i wanted to do at the time obviously that changed and after that i had many other ideas you know after that uh it it was then very clear uh, particularly when i got to the u.s so so i ended up studying engineer electrical engineering and well, you were still hated, the best graphic designer in your school then yeah i was i mean i i hated electrical engineering but you know i became a I still continue to practice graphic design. I did it. I earned a lot of money doing graphic design in the US. I actually had a logo that was shortlisted for the Charlotte Bobcats, you know, um, and, you know, did a lot of graphic design work for different organizations for my school. Uh, but by the time I finished my, what you call it, my my undergrad, it was clear I know you to finished me in three years. Yeah, yeah, I finished, you know, I, I, I hated engineering so much right or disliked it so much that i wanted to be done as soon as possible and so i bum rushed it i took multiple credits finished in three years uh with honors i at the time fax machines still worked i faxed the degree yeah like that. i read that and and literally started plotting my my next move and my next move was literally i was going to i wanted to end up on wall streets um, doing 
M&As, right? And so I... So how did it yeah. change happen from graphics design to you wanting to work in Wall Street doing M&A? Well, so I guess um, while I was in engineering school, uh, by the way, I wasn't reading anything engineering except studying to pass my exams. I was doing a lot of... So I was day trading. You know, I was buying stocks. I had a brokerage account with E-Trade, I believe, at the time. And I was actively trading. And so I had come to see how um, equity, owning equity in businesses was really a, a great way to build wealth, right? And so I was very fascinated with the ability to, to be to have a hand in multiple businesses without necessarily running them, right? And so, you know, um, and so I I continued to, you know, trade equities. Uh, and I'd also then, my um, apparently, um, you know, certain seeds had been sown in me to be an entrepreneur early. And so for me, it was it was really about, okay, how do I, sort of figure out uh, how I will build a career in investment banking, right? Uh, and so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll get an MBA, work in corporate finance for a while, um, go back to go to law school, because uh, I really wanted to understand how to structure deals, uh, do a degree in corporate law, and end up becoming this lawyer that structures M&As um, and, and acquisitions and things like that. Uh, and then eventually start up an investment, an investment entity of, I didn't know if it was going to be a fund, uh, 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 an invest, uh, you know, an investment banking organization, a hedge fund. I just knew I wanted to uh, um, trade in finance, right? Um, uh, and this was purely off of my personal practice of day trading and which I had become really good at, at the time, you know, and, um, yeah, that was, that was the journey and I was taking that step. I mean, at the time when I got that call to move back to Nigeria to, to work in the family business, um, I was actually, I was just prepping to start law school. Uh, which is why sometimes yeah, I dropped out of law school. So Kola had been on the verge of starting his law degree. But before we go there, let's look at what helped Kola as well as how he's now deliberately reshaped his life. A couple of years ago, about, uh, yeah, I think two years ago to be precise, or maybe three years now, I can't remember. I was billed to uh, give a keynote at a very major event. I had just returned from a trip from a couple of trips actually I think um, I was in the US and then Egypt and then you know Lagos and then Abuja and it was short I think all of these trips were within the space of a week or something and um, you know I felt really ill but I decided to to brace it anyway my usual style of just really wanting to pursue and, and keep going and just you know being a hard, hard pushing hard working type of person cut the long story short I ended up collapsing the night before the keynotes you know and I was hospitalized for over a week and that for me was a really was a turning point in that I really started to reflect you know because I almost lost my life and and it was going to be on the altar of high levels of stress overwork and just not taking care of myself enough and, you know, because I already had two kids at the time, you know, it got me to really reflect because, yeah, I was sitting on a hospital gurney the first night and then, you know, hospitalized for the week afterwards, uh, not being able to give the keynotes that I felt I couldn't miss for the world, not being able to get on my calls and do my meetings for a whole week. I mean, I mean, before that, you know, even though I could afford to, I'd never really taken a real holiday ever you know maybe after i started working professionally um i would always just take a couple of days or even when i went on a week-long holiday with my family i would work in between the holidays you know and, and so 
that for me was a turning point that made me realize, you know, the important things in life, you know, and uh, the, the place for a family, your loved ones, your kids, rests, and the place of balance overall. And as I started that journey, I decided then that I would make certain changes in my life. As I started that journey, you know, one of the things that I also did was you know, I started talking to a therapist, you know, to say, look, I have this compulsive nature of not really knowing how to relax and rest and, and slow down. You know, um, there's, I, I tend to have a sense of guilt when I'm, when I'm not working, which is kind of weird, you know, because I'm, I'm, I've been used to working. I worked tirelessly for like 15 or so years at that time building businesses and, you know, working in corporates. And so for me, it was really a journey to understand how I could, um, how I could reduce my stress levels and really live a more balanced life. And surprisingly, that's, that process took me back to my earlier days to want to try to understand my motivations what were the things that motivated me to want to be successful to, to, to be a business person and to and to push myself as hard as i have or i still do to some extent and that really got me to start thinking about my youth my earlier relationships my earlier motivations and how i was raised and all of that and in doing that you know came upon a bunch of uh, some good things, some some things that I would prefer that maybe were different. Um, but you know, you know, and so that process has really been one of just um, understanding uh, the past in in a bid to optimize the future because uh, our lives are a continuum, right? And everything we are today is the sum total of our prior experiences. And everything we would be in the future is the sum total of the things we do today and going forward. And so my, my as someone that's constantly looking to optimize the future and improve the future, my, my obsession these days is figuring out the things I can do today to improve my outcomes and the outcomes of my other stakeholders, including the entire continent and the world uh, in the future. I hope that sort of makes sense. Yes, it does. It does. Thank you. So what I say maybe it was fear of failure that pushed you then to want to keep working, working, working without resting? Well, so so it, it, a little bit more nuanced than that. So at some point, you know, I had, after my master's uh, uh, degree, um, I had, you know, I was working in corporate in the U.S. And at some point, my dad, you know, had asked me, invited me. Uh, but it's one of those invitations that you can't say no to, you know, <laughs> to come uh, work in the family business. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, it was intended to be a really good life. You know, the business was thriving. I was going to be CEO, if not immediately, in a, in a very short while. And even at the role I was coming in, I had all the trappings of a young exec, you know, official cars, uh, house, driver, you know, and, and, and even as, as, as reluctant as I was, again, because I was raised to be an obedient son, uh, and I must say an obedient Yoruba son, you know, I, I'm sure some of your listeners can figure out what that means. I, I somehow just accepted even though it was super inconvenient i just moved cities uh, i was about to actually start another degree a new job you know and i literally had just gotten to the new city i'd moved to like two days ago three days ago you know and i packed up in a couple of days i moved back you know um again this and this speaks to how a, a number of young people are not really raised to be their own person right um uh, but but I always had this nudge that you know I wanted to do my own thing. I I, I wanted to. I had I don't I, I I had certain desires and certain goals I wanted to achieve. He returned home, and it ended up being the the most high stress time of my life. You know, because 
my 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 dad and I couldn't quite get along in terms of in terms of the business. We didn't see we didn't agree on many things, and you know I was I certainly was very opinion opinionated. Uh, he also had his ideas, um, uh, and you know eventually uh, I you know I decided to walk away from the business. Which is always tough when a when a son decides to walk away from the family business. That's never yeah. a easy conversation. Um, what exactly so did you tell away. your dad? Well, you know, I can't really remember the details of the conversation, but it wasn't a very good conversation. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> you know, it was pretty much, dude, I, I'm I'm done. I'm leaving. You know, um, and um, you know, it didn't it didn't take it very well as 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 one would expect. And you know, at that time, I got married. I already had my first daughter, so it was it was moving into a lot of uncertainty. This was also the time uh, when the U.S. was uh, was in a was you know, I think just in the middle of the recession in 2009. I hope my dates are right now. I think about 2009 slash 10. Um, and so I, you know, I packed all my stuff, and I really wanted to get as far away from 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 the situation as I could. So I decided I was going to move back to the US, um, you know, because I was really worried. It was it, it was the choice was, do I want to keep my family whole and my extended family because it was starting to affect the in my mind the happiness and equity in our family and in our extended family because it had you know the stress had ex- the conflict that extended to my mom and my siblings and all of that and so i decided to move back as far away as possible so i moved back to the us and and that really was a turning point in in my um what's the word in my in my career because um uh, the main thing that happened, but one of the takeaways from that was, I now felt it now felt like I was on a mission to prove that I could make it on my own, right? You know, because I had just walked away from what was supposed to be a life of luxury, <laughs> you know, where yeah. where this where this empire was being had, and you know, it was a very good empire. My my dad ran the largest publishing business in Nigeria at the time. Um, you know, um, and, you know, I was pretty much going to be running the business and doing as I chose because my dad wanted to retire sooner or later. So I think the biggest takeaway from that amongst many other things was the fact that I now had, um, I had no choice but to figure out how to make it on my own. Right. Um, and I use the word on my own lightly, on my own meaning, you know, without necessarily working with my parent or my in my family business, you know. And I also had a bit of ego and pride as a young man, which in retrospect was probably unnecessary, you know, which essentially meant I felt I couldn't ask for help. And I didn't ask I didn't ask for help for, for the longest time, you know, because um, I wanted to prove a point. And that, I guess, was sort of the motivation for me. And I only discovered many years later, in fact, very recently, that for many years, I really was just trying to tell my dad that, you know, I got this, <laughs> you know. And and you don't you forget that, you know, even as you get older, you're still that little young man that that um, that is driven by some form of a. Uh, some some weird uh, motivation that um, you know sometimes works out for good and sometimes not always works out for good. Yeah, that's a lot. Oof. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Kola left his father's business and traveled back to America with his wife and daughter. Kola was about twenty six years old at the time, and that period heralded one of the lowest moments in his life. Kola literally lost it all and was down to ground zero. We'll continue after the short break. I'm Oshaye and you're listening to Origins Africa podcast. Hi, dear listener. If you love our show, please leave us a review on iTunes and Apple podcast. You can also send us a tweet or comment on Instagram at Origins AF. We love to read from you. Nope, not later. Yes, I read your mind. Do it now. Thanks a lot. 
also click the subscribe button and share with a friend. Let's make a difference together, one origin story at a time. Hi guys, welcome back to Origins Africa podcast. Kola returned to the US with his family and it was during that period, one of the lowest moments of his life, that he began to explore technology as a career. My career in technology was a fallout of the of my re-return back to the US, right? Which was really ended up being one of the lowest moments in my life because I came back to the US uh, at the height of a recession with uh, with my daughter and my wife. And I wasn't getting any good job offers, you know. My plan was my plan then, you know, I was frustrated. I was in my lowest moment. I, I really just felt like taking some time to put myself together. And so I decided that I would I would um go back to school, this time doing a PhD. Again, I was just a very confused young man at this time, right? Because my my MA dreams uh, my law school dreams had been side railed, right? And I had a, I had a family to support, so I was gonna work, get a job, and go to uh, do a a doctorate part time, and that didn't work out. Um, not that I didn't get job offers or I didn't get accepted into uh, the programs that I I I wanted to. Uh, but, but rather, I didn't get the kind of jobs I felt I deserved for some reason. And this is one of the things that I think young, young, some young people struggle with. I had a false sense of, a false sense that because I had been working in my family business and I had all those luxuries, you know, uh, I felt that I was, I was above certain, certain, certain things. And I really wasn't prepared to make any uh, I wasn't really ready to compromise and, and take any roles that I first were, felt were less than me, you know, and it was this false sense of pride that one had as a, as a, as a young, high-flying, supposed exec at the time. And so I sat around, you know, and for several months, and it was in that period that I sort of discovered what I got to understand was the purpose of my life. How old were you then, sorry? I was about 26 at the time. Yeah, I was about 26 when this happened, you know, and I was fortunate that that happened really early because it ended up being one of the lowest points of my life. I became really broke. We, you know, we became homeless. I sold, I sold, I sold, I, I traded down three cars. I mean, I mean, I think the first car we had was like the Honda Pilot. <laughs> and then I sold the Honda Pilot, took some equity out, uh, and bought a Passat, and then I sold the Passat after like three months, two months. Took some equity out and bought like a accidented Honda um, um, Toyota uh, Camry, one of those ones that they call pencil eye in Nigeria, right? It was probably like twelve years old uh, model, you know, accidented. And because you know, because we were running out of money, you know, and I needed to feed, feed my daughter. And we eventually became, you know, we didn't have any money to pay our own rent. So moved in with my sister. And, you know, my back was against the wall. I was reading a lot. And that really was the moment of discovery and understanding for me, you know. Uh, you know, some people, when, when, they, when they face that kind of uh, failure or, or, you know, low points, they, they turn to various things. But I was fortunate. I turned to, you know, I would dress up every day, even though I was unemployed, I would dress up every day, wear my shirt and tie, sit at my desk. You know, my wife tells this story really well. And I'll be applying for jobs. I'll be reading about uh, starting a business. Uh, I'll be reading about investing. And I would also be reading a book which is not one of my favorite books and most recommended books uh the purpose driven life by rick warren you know i read that book multiple times because i was desperately i i knew that i want i didn't want to just be average i wanted to be outstanding and so for me it was really about understanding what is that one thing i can be really good at and i'd read somewhere that you can be really good at things that that are within within 
within what is the purpose of your life, right? And that was what I was trying to find out. What was the purpose of my life? And that, you know, when I found that out, that really was when my journey uh, to some significance of success began. So from reading that book, you were able to come to a better understanding of what your purpose was or what your purpose is. Well, I, I read a few books and the question I was really trying to ask, you know, I was depressed. I must say I was depressed. I was, I was at my wits end. I was just really pissed off and angry, you know, because I had just come out of like two years of, of working in a really, you know, what I would describe as unhealthy, unhappy place. I had a daughter, I had a wife, you know, I wanted, I had all these ambitions. I wanted to, I wanted to be successful. You know, I, I, I felt a bit of remorse that I had also abandoned what was already a good path uh, to move back to Nigeria. I had also become, I was also extremely unhappy with Nigeria, right? Because I had, I had some of the worst experiences, you know, uh, dealing, you know, I think most people that relocate back to Nigeria, they face that in the first instance, right? Um, and so I was really, it started from really asking the question, what is life about? Why, you know, what is, what is life for, you know? And, and then it proceeded to what is the purpose of my life? Why was I born? Because I had come to understand that everyone had a purpose. And, and if, and if you discovered what your purpose was and pursued it with mission, you would, you're more, you'll be more likely to have a happy, successful life. Right. Um, some of my own motivations also came from the place of, of my faith. You know, I, I was a Christian at the time and because I was in a very low place, I, I really held on to my faith. And so I was really trying to understand what, what I, what I'd been put on the world you know, on the earth to do. My wife was also in so really supportive at the time. She was really encouraging. And from trying to answer, understand what, what, what my life was about and what the meaning of my life was, I settled on understanding what the, uh, what the purpose of my life was because I figured if, if I understood the purpose of my life and I pursued it, I'd be more likely to be successful. Right. And, 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 you know, I read many books and one of those books, including the Bible, actually, um, one of those books was the purpose driven life by Rick Warren. And that book, I think armed me with the tools I needed in a combination of other things I was doing at the time to really start that journey of purpose that, you know, I, I believe I'm still on. How did you now settle on tech? I was tech you wanted I, to do. So I, so you know, uh, during those months, uh, towards the end of those months of self-reflection, and by the way, I didn't have any money for a therapist or something. So I was my own therapist, right? <laughs> I, I, I settled on the fact that the purpose of my life was to be a platform that would enable other people achieve success, and you know, very clear. Uh, ask how you arrived at this. Um, well, so you know, again, I strongly recommend the Purpose Driven Life. Uh, the book talks about the place of shape, something called Shape S H A P E, which involves your personality, your your socialization, you know, and a host of other things. And in in thinking, reflecting on a lot of that, you know, and really just meditating on it and thinking through it. I arrived at that as the purpose of my life, you know. Um, again, you know, there's a lot to unpack when it comes to sort of coming to the place of purpose, but but it's really lots of introspection, uh, lots of reflecting on things you enjoy doing, your socialization, your, you know, uh, your patterns and things like that. And, you know, I, I don't think anyone can 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 do, do better justice to it than than Rick Warren himself. So I strongly recommend that listeners, you know, check out that book. It's, it's, it's written by a Christian pastor, but it's a book that is for, that is useful for everyone. Right. Um, it's not a book that tries to preach to you or anything. It's a book that really just tries to get, help you understand purpose. And so, so it was in, in that period of, and, and it, for me, it required introspection. Thankfully, I, I didn't have a job. I was desperate. I was, I mean, I was only doing a few things. I was applying for jobs, reading about entrepreneurship and, and obsessing about this book. And I read it like three times. And at the end of it, it became clear to me that the purpose of my life was to build platforms that would enable other people to achieve their, their dreams. Very clear, very crystal. In fact, so clear 
that when I then decided that tech was technology was a good way to do this, and I decided on tech for a few reasons. I told myself that well, tech is is a great way. I mean, tech is all about building platforms, whether it's platforms for education, platforms for finance, uh, and with 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 tech, you are able to, you know, you're able to impact many people, right? Uh, so for me, scale was important. Uh, you know, I wanted to be someone that would do things that, that that impact a lot of people. But because I had also become aware that I was a bit of a polymath, right, um, with an ability to be flexible in terms of the application of my know-how. You know, I was very ad- I've always been very adaptable, right? I can typically jump in any conversation and and in quotes bullshit my way through it, right? Uh, that is, you know, carry on like I'm very aware. Um, even even though I need to go back and do my research at the end of the day, I think that's salesman streak. So I, I wanted something that would allow me build platforms in different sectors, you know, and that I, I could, you know, make money but still impact people's lives positively. And, you know, tech was... You know, I was I was investing in the little money I had, or rather, no money I had in lots of tech stocks at the time. I remember my Google stock was popping, and so I, I really wanted to be like one of these guys, you know. Um, and but I, the problem was I couldn't write any line of code, right? So I started looking for someone to partner with, and I ended up meeting my co-founder. You didn't want to learn. You thought it would be better to get a co-founder who could code? So I, I, I'd also come to learn something early, I think. Um, and I had learned very early uh, about the discipline pursuit of less, right? That it was important to just know as much as you're a polymath and you, you'll be a generalist about many things, if you wanted to build the best tech company or the best software company, you needed to have the best engineer, right? Uh, not an engineer that was average, you know, and I had drunk the Kool-Aid of partnerships, of co-founding, again, because I was investing in lots of tech stocks already or with the little money I had. And so, you know, the, the whole idea of having a co-founder was, was very cool to me or seemed very sexy to me. Um, also, don't forget that I was fatigued, right? I yeah, come, I just come, I just come out of several months of of unemployment. Um, I, I not like I had any money to start this business, so it needed to be a business that. So I couldn't even pay for a course or anything. Mm, okay. So, um, so I, it needed to be a business that I could start with what I had in my hand, right? So I knew that I could talk my way through anything. I could do great PowerPoints, you know, I knew a few people. And so I needed to look for someone else who had the other ingredient, which is who knew how to write code. Um, so it was really about optimizing for what I had, right? Okay. Uh, and the, the other question I was asking myself is what do I have in my hand now? What can I, what do I have now to, and what can, what can I start with now, right? And so I met my co-founder very mysteriously, um, I believe through a third party. Uh, and, um, you know, I shared my thinking with him. He also was looking, he was already a pretty good software, you know, pretty full stack software engineer, probably one of the best software engineers I've met in my life till today. You know, I always say that about Chuka. And we agreed to explore starting the business. He, I remember he visited me once at my sister's apartment then, and we decided that day that we were going to start a software company that would build software in the DMV area and eventually expand maybe to Nigeria. <laughs> and we decided, to, I shared my vision and my mission of wanting to build platforms to enable several people, uh, many people. And we decided we'll call the business Emerging Platforms. <laughs> you know, and we, I remember that night we sat, we drew the logo by hand. My sister was, uh, was an architect and she, she pulled out her laptop and she actually designed the first logo that night, you know, what year was this, sorry? 
This was 2009, I want to say. Yeah, 2009. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the business is 10 year old by the end of this year. That business, by the way. Um, the, so it was 2010, sorry, to be precise, I believe, early. And yeah, that's how that business was born. That's how I got into tech. Uh, fast forward, I eventually moved back to Nigeria. Uh, the business to, and then business took off and that business um, obviously there were several battles it, it wasn't automatic uh, but that business eventually gave birth to several other things I've done including ventures platform and uh, yeah as they say okay. the rest is the rest of the history is still been written <laughs> okay could we do well on that a bit so you returned to Nigeria I'm guessing you returned with your family yeah yeah I returned with my with my with my young family at the time, okay. and um, yeah, started from the bottom, as you say, from the bottom. Okay, where did you stay, and then how did you gradually grow? So I moved back. Um, so you know, I so as this business started to take off, I then had the courage to come back because I was going to come back, and we were going to try to build a software company that would serve small businesses, uh, government agencies, anyone that needed tech, right? Uh, and we, our goal was going to try to be better priced than the large global companies. Uh, we would do open source software, uh, but we would also approach, because we were so small and we were, were not powerful, would approach large I would approach our, our potential clients with a proposition to build them a proof of concept that would allow them use the software, use whatever we built, um, and only pay us if it worked, right? Uh, which is a pretty audacious move for Nigeria, um, you know, where people. They don't always abide by contracts, but but what it meant for Are us they is they disappointing experiences. Oh, several, several. There, there were several. In fact, one of our one of our biggest breaks. I always, you know, tell the story. Uh, a project that ended up, you know, you know, generating billions in revenue. Right, uh, many many years later, the the process of bidding of a rather pitching for this project um, involved probably an excess of five presentations to like a hundred people, <laughs> right? <laughs> Can you imagine some of the most intense uh, uh, meetings to pitch, right? And they would ask the toughest questions, very cynical crowd, uh, really tough questions, uh, and in between the last presentation and when we finally got invited, there was like a year between the last presentation and when we finally got invited oh, wow. and eventually, and eventually yes, signed the contract. And you know that that ended up being one of our most sort of to date one of our largest accounts to date, right? And then you so, have to so, wait till late in the night. Yeah for that meeting to happen? Yeah, this is actually another one. That's another okay. one. So that, that one was our first. So this one I just described, uh, you you read my, some of my stories a bit. This one I just described was uh, probably uh, one of our, one of our largest accounts, right? It, you know, uh, but well, what you've described uh, is, was our first big break, right? Uh, where we had, um, we had a 12 noon appointment and I remember getting there super early again. I just re I just come back to Nigeria. So I was still a, I was still a very ethical, disciplined international, <laughs> you know, so I moved. So you no longer are? <laughs> no, I, I still am in, in the sense that I was still very fresh off the boat. You know, I was still, I think there are certain things that, that Nigeria tries to normalize for you. And you have to, you have to work really hard at not accepting them as normal. 
right? And, you know, part one of those things is just uh, not keeping to time, you know? I mean, till, till to, up until today, I still find that I'm, I'm a, I tend to be a sore thumb, even amongst my colleagues when it comes to punctuality and whatnot. Um, but yeah, in this particular case, the meeting was at for 12 noon and I remember showing up, um, I remember showing up at, um, at, uh, 10.30 or so, by 11, just to ensure I could set up my projector. Uh, one of the things, one of the sweet things about my early days there as well, just as sort of a one man, uh, um, demo squad because I was, I was, there were only two employees, right? And so I would, I would, I would be the salesperson. I would be the, uh, the after service engineer, you know, I was, I was many things, you know, so, you know, I wasn't, we weren't rushing to, to, to scale our team overnight, right? We were, we were growing, uh, steadily. And I remember, um, and this day, of course, I showed up with my own my own projector, my printer, my scanner, just in case. Oh, wow. Some, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had I had one of those. I still have the bag actually. Uh, it's it's always in the in the in the boot of my car, and the driver always knows to leave it there. And and the idea was, if I needed to edit the letter, the proposal, I would type it right there, print it, and and have it delivered. So there was no. Uh, you know, we were uh, we were just in time. Uh, we also had our projector, so that there would never be an excuse that uh, they didn't have a projector. And so I remember that day I was came an hour thirty minutes ready, and uh, I asked for where to set up for the presentation because there were going to be two, uh, two other companies presenting. Um, and you know, I I think I waited. About, at about 1 p.m., the, the person I was supposed to see, the present to walk past, um, was heading out, you know, and then I think a, a few minutes later, the assistant came and said, well, it looks like um, she's not going to be back soon, so maybe you can just go call you next time or call you back. I said, no, I'll wait, you know, I'll wait. Um, so I kept waiting, waiting. I mean, cut the long story short, it was past midnight that day, you know, that... That and, and this is not conventional, right? Most people don't hold meetings at midnight, but um, that became our big, you know, our first sort of account that was closed. Uh, but it was really resilient, being gritty, and just sticking it. Through. Why didn't you want to return? Or oh, you had tried several times; it hadn't been successful. And you said, "Today, I must see, even if it's still late in the night." Well, well. So, so first of all, you have to recognize that I had I had just come back to Nigeria, and one of the things that I determined in my return back was that it had become my first my first foray into com- coming back to Nigeria had taught me that Nigeria wasn't necessarily the most disciplined place, right? You know that people, you know, people didn't necessarily always keep their word, right? And so I was. I was very determined that I was I would I would do whatever it took within the within within what is ethical, right? To 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 make a, to make a break, including you know. So it, it wasn't. It, it used to piss me off when people didn't keep the time prior, in my, you know. Be, you know, in my first sort of go, but I was. You know, I w- it was, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen Rambo, the movie, right? You know, and I, I like giving this example very often. Have you seen Rambo? No, I haven't, actually. Okay, you should go see Rambo. I mean, Sylvester Stallone is the actor in Rambo, and there's this scene, well, most m- m- much of the movie is actually him shirtless in the forest. You know, there's this scene, I have the picture on my computer, where he's holding this massive automatic weapon, and he just looks relentless. I mean, he's been through it all. But he's not—he's not giving up, you know. He's just, you know, and that was really my mindset at the time. You know, I'd become very obsessed with, with you know, being uh, making a success of the business, and I wasn't going to take no for an answer, right? And I knew that we had the right product for this for this organization. I, I knew I just needed to get in front of the decision makers, right? And that was my shot. And like clockwork, the moment we got in that room, 
you know, we made the pitch and they're like, this is what we've been looking for. We, we need this, you know, and, <laughs> and yeah, that was it. So, so that was, it, it was that resilience that I, you know, I, I, I didn't have too many options. My back was against the wall. Again, I don't know that that, that, that always works because it could be seen as obnoxious. You know, maybe, maybe I was obnoxious at the time, but you know, I was, I was just going, I was determined to be relentless. How long did it take from when you returned to when you had this big break? Or your first I break? think uh, uh, it had to be, I mean, so the first few months was really just trying to get my level. It had to be about three, four months. Um, uh, I remember our first office, you know, I couldn't afford an office, but I had a few friends who, you know, I'd been in Nigeria. They had one, you know, they had this really large office space and I got them to sublet a small space to me, which was kind of maybe um, some people would have just thought I was corny because the, the maybe what I could have just done was I could have just sat in their office where I was. But I, I was really determined. So I always took myself to very seriously, right? I was determined. So I designed the space. I had wallpaper you know, um, that made the office look much larger. I mean, it was, it was the size, it was smaller than your average bathroom, right? But it looked, it looked like a massive space because of the wallpaper on the wall. You know, it was very serious. I had, even though it was just me, I had tables for three people, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and so the first few months was really just, um, was really just, and it was the early days of mobile apps. And so, we were determined that we would help organizations leverage mobile technology and build apps and things like that. And so we're just mocking up different ideas, uh, networking, um, you know, setting up office space, uh, and just really trying to get that first break. And I think it was about four months in that that break came through. So looking back through your journey, what, what mistakes did you make and what lessons have you been able to deduce? Yes, I think, I think, I think I've made the same mistake twice. Uh, <laughs> and they say never make never make the same mistake twice. So so the first mistake was so when I came when I came back um there, there are several mistakes but one that really that that is that is my obsession today. When I came back to Nigeria um again because I was desperate to really I really wanted to make a break you know I I including um uh, emerging platforms. I also had like two other businesses that I that I was that I was trying to run. I was trying to do a, a training consultancy, and I think I'd also registered. Yeah, this is an interesting nugget uh, because I knew that ultimately at some point I was going to do investing. I had registered an investment company called I love the name it's very funny Paradigm Diversified Capital Limited or something like that (laughs) you know because the idea was I was going to invest in in various paradigms right um and but I had no money to invest right so um but I was busy you know doing three businesses stupidly you know so um Obviously, that didn't work out really well. Um, and again, I was reading uh, something and I stumbled again on something I'd read a few years before, the disciplined pursuit of less. You know, because I, had, I was becoming frustrated because, you know, I wasn't seeing any significant traction. And so I took the hard decision. I... The franchise, I believe I, you know, I, I, I stopped paying the licensing fees for the training franchise. I shut down the investment company and just doubled down all my attention in emerging platforms. And that was really the starting point where things started to turn around. Now I say, sometimes I feel like I've made the same mistake twice because, you know, as emerging platforms, you know, um, became successful then you start being tempted to also become even more diversified and doing many things and i think there's very few businesses in the world or very few people that succeed at doing many things and even where you succeed at trying to do many things there's a there's a huge cost component uh that cost is either your health your family or just your the quality of your relationships right and so 
um, you know, that, that's one sort of mistake that I think a lot of people make. And I know too well, because I've seen that mistake happen when I, when, when, when I was still just starting out. And, you know, sometimes I feel like maybe, maybe I'm, I'm stretched a little, a little too thin. And so I'm at that point in my life where I'm trying to, uh, you know, success has also meant uh, I, I've become very privileged to so many opportunities uh, uh, and I'm a part of so many things. And, you know, I'm actively trying to decongest and shrink my, my scope of influence uh, because I think the ability to uh, be excellent is very, very dependent on, on the level of focus that one has in business and in life in general. Was that maybe also why you had to step down last year in some of your roles? To yes, that precisely was why I stepped down. I mean, I was enjoying it. I was doing it really well because I'd, I'd become very good at multitasking and, and throwing many hats. But, you know, if it doesn't, if you don't see a negative impact in the quality of your work, you will certainly see it in the quality of your relationships and your health. You know, and so you, you at some point you you figure out what is most important for you. Um, and for me, it's really the quality of my work, not necessarily the volume of my work. And right. thus, I am seeking to to focus and do less. Looking back, would you ascribe your success to your hard work and skills and talents, or to luck? Well, I think I think luck is really. Um, opportunity meeting preparation right and 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 so there's no luck there's no luck that translates to success where there's no preparation you know what 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 i think people ascribe as luck is really uh when when those two things meet each other right so you've been you've been grinding and preparing yourself for for the opportunity uh because not everyone that's 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 that prepares themselves has the opportunity, right? And not everyone that has the opportunity has prepared sure. himself. And so my view is, um, yes, I think figuring out what the purpose of my life was early, one, had a, had a role to play, two, um, two um, you know, putting in the work, being gritty, I, I certainly don't think I'm the smartest person out there, but I certainly know that I am the, I'm probably one of the grittiest persons out there. In other words, you can't out hustle me when I really want to do something, right? Um, I would push myself, you know, I've done everything from finance to HR, to selling, to trying to read code. <laughs> I'm now investing, you know, and I, 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 you know, I didn't study investing per se, you know, I learned everything on the job, right? And today we've built one of the most prolific early state funds, probably one of the most respected early state funds on the continent, right? Um, and, and, and all of that just from sheer grit and, and you know, also our, our network. And so I, I ascribe a lot of that success to um, to good fortune, but also lots of uh, hard work and uh, consistency as well. Advice to uh, the listeners: Look, if you're still if you're sub thirty, obsess about figuring out the purpose of your life. You know, um, uh, and just pursuing it. Uh, obviously, take on as many opportunities as you can, but. If you know, if you've determined what your life is about, what you want to spend most of your life doing, then you you can pursue uh, opportunities that are in alignment with that. And you know, it's a it's a short circuit way to to being living a happy, successful life. If you're below thirty, you can also give it a shot, but just remember that the clock is ticking. <laughs> but have fun doing whatever you do. Okay, if you're in my shoes, is there a question you would have asked yourself that I've not asked you yet? I would have asked myself, so what is your next adventure? But we're out of time, so I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you like me to interview next? Um, I think you should interview Adia Sowo. Okay. Because I, I think I think she's she's a really nuanced, smart person. Uh, I love her dearly, and you know I think she's going to do well. So we were not able to talk further on the growth of emerging platforms and how it evolved into ventures platform that we know today due to time constraints. Guess we'll have another catch up sometime soon, but that's Kola Aino and he's the founding partner of ventures platform. 
Thank you for listening to our show this week. If you liked it, do leave us a review, a comment, and share with your friends. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend and to tell another friend. We would also love to read from you. So please do send us a tweet or leave a comment on Instagram at Origins AF. You can also write to us at OriginsAfricaPodcast at gmail.com. Remember, do subscribe at wherever you get your podcast. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, amongst others. Join us next time as we have a chat with Yemi Fashion, a senior human resources executive and thought leader. Our sound producer this week was Tumisha Jani, and the theme song was composed by Just Ritimi. I'm Oshaya, and you've been listening to Origins Africa podcast. Bye for now. My father told me life is not a bit of roses. You gotta put your way to the plan.